Welcome to Good News being brought to you by Listening for Clues. We are Lauren Welk and John Shemitek, deacons in the Episcopal Diocese of Maryland. We sure are. Today we have a very special guest, the Right Reverend Robert W. Eloff, who's a bishop in the Episcopal Church. Bob served 28 years as a parish priest in three dioceses, followed by 28 years as a bishop of Maryland. He was formerly a member of the House of Bishops Theology Committee, president of Province Three, a trustee of the Virginia Theological Seminary, and of the National Board of Episcopal Schools. He's currently offering spiritual direction. Bob has been married for 57 years to the amazing Nancy V. Eloff. They have two children, six grandchildren, and one great-granddaughter. Nancy and Bob live in Baltimore, Maryland. Welcome, Bob. Good to have you today. Thank you. Very nice to be here with you, both of you who I admire greatly and uh, think the world of. So thank you for inviting me. So, Bob, to begin with, you have been in ordained ministry for 56 years. So share with us what the thread through those years has been. The thread for me, at least, has been the interface of social justice and spirituality. This started very early in me. I became very involved in the civil rights movement when I was in college in the 60s and seminary, also in the 60s. And I fortunately went to Episcopal Divinity School in Cambridge, Massachusetts, which was at the time the only one of our seminaries really encouraged its students to get involved in the social issues of the day. And as I studied scripture and immersed myself in the civil rights movement, I became more and more convinced that Jesus was, among other things, very interested in justice and civil rights. And I also became aware that there were people in the civil rights movement who were burning out because they were constantly giving of themselves, but they weren't getting virtually replenished in what was a arduous and long and still going on fight. Um, and so I began even as a seminarian to turn my attention to how to remain spiritually alive and be grounded in spirit so that I would have the energy to be involved in social justice. And that has been a thread that I have carried through to the present day, including my interest in providing spiritual direction for folk. I have been in spiritual direction myself for years, and part of that has been a necessity. If you're going to also be involved in the issues of the day, you need to have a spiritual grounding so that you don't run out of energy and burn out or lose touch with why you're doing this to begin with. Well, having heard a, a number of your sermons over the years, I, I would say you have been extraordinarily faithful to, to that whole precept of the thinking of the Jesus movement as being a social justice, definitely been a very strong kind of a prophetic preacher. I, I wonder, has that at times presented any difficulties? Yes, of course. But I, over the years, have developed a pretty thick skin. It, it was very helpful to me that the first rector I worked with 
in New Britain, Connecticut, who was also deeply involved in social justice, one of the things he mentioned to me early on in my ministry was, it's important to decide who you want as your enemies, probably as important as it is who you want as your friends, because you're not going to please everybody. And that hasn't meant that I have thrown caution to the wind or been, for the most part in my ministry, purposely difficult with people with whom I disagree. I actually invite disagreement. And I often inform people who have a different points of view that I value hearing their points of view because it stretches me. It gets me to be more concrete in what my own beliefs are. But I also think that's how we grow as, as we challenge each other. And so I've sought to be a challenger in a good sense of trying to work with people because I do think diversity is really important and people paying attention to other Christians, especially other Christians, but other people's points of view are very important. Over the years, I've had any number of people who have taken issue with my sermons because I do tend to foster a prophetic voice. Not everyone is given that voice. I feel like that has been something that God prompts me in. And I try to not be political in utilizing that voice. I mean, the irony is we now live in an age where almost anything you say is likely to be perceived as political by someone else. So I try to be very clear that I'm coming to this from my own Christian belief. Jesus spent a disproportionate amount of his time with the poor, the marginalized, the disadvantaged. And that in itself, I think, causes us to take seriously that that's an important part of what God is interested in. And part of living into the kingdom of God, which is the bringing together of all people and creating even playing fields and justice is working among those who are particularly disadvantaged to give them a leg up and to enable them to be rich parts of the dialogue that needs to go on. Um, when I was first ordained, I learned that it was also important to establish my credibility as a dependable and caring pastor. And so in parishes, as well as in the Diocese of Maryland, I have always started out making, trying to make it very clear and throughout my ministry, making it clear to people that I really do care about. Bob, I wonder if I could follow up just a little bit on this, because you raised a curiosity for me just now when thinking about you had sort of an equal number of many years as a, in parish ministry and in diocesan wide ministry. I just wonder how did that differ in those two roles in terms of getting the social justice message out? The roles are quite different, although I felt that many of the things that I did as a parish priest prepared me to be a bishop. Um, the two roles are quite different, and that was why I was reticent about being considered as a bishop. I, I never applied to be a bishop anywhere, and my name was spun out of the computer in New York, which houses all of the resumes of clergy throughout the country uh, to be bishop of Maryland. And um, it was not a job I would have ever sought, but as I read the profile, I decided they were looking for somebody who had many of the same experiences and commitments that I had. 
And I felt that I couldn't in good conscience just say, no, this isn't, this isn't the will of God. I'm going to stay a parish priest. But quite frankly, I was very worried when I was elected that I wouldn't enjoy being a bishop. And it has turned out that I can't say I like being a bishop more than a parish priest, but I have liked them equally and in different ways and for different reasons. But the uh, commonality has been that in both cases, these gave me wonderful opportunities to really try to preach the gospel in a variety of different places and to learn from different people. One of the things that interested me most about Maryland is that, as one of our former governors said, Maryland is America in miniature. And I think that's true. It includes one of the great cities of the world, Baltimore. It includes white collar cities like Frederick and Annapolis and blue collar cities like Hagerstown and Cumberland and lots of suburban areas and lots of rural areas still. And of course, we include two counties in Appalachia, Allegheny County and Garrett County. In recent years, Bishop Sutton asked me if I would take particular responsibility for our Appalachian region. And I have loved that. So Bob, with all and that you've done, the, the, the challenges and the prophetic words that you have spoken, what has surprised you in your ministry? For my whole adult life, I have been pleasantly surprised at where I find the Holy Spirit and in whom I find the Holy Spirit. As a young priest, I often went off to hospital situations or in to visit someone at home with a great deal of anxiety about what would I say, what would I do, how would I minister to them? And rapidly it became aware, I became aware of that ministry is always a two-way street, that I may go to do something in relationship to someone, but invariably they minister to me in a very deep way. Uh, as anyone who does hospital ministry knows, there are situations where I have felt I was standing on holy ground. It was almost as if in a Genesis kind of sense, I should remove my shoes because the ground was so holy by the witness that the person who was dying or was extremely ill was making and the ways in which that enhanced my life. So God constantly does surprise me, although now I expect to be surprised. It used to be a full surprise when I was younger. I am not surprised particularly, but it always takes me off guard that God is in situations where I haven't expected God to be profoundly. And anyone who relates to people, I think, and does so from a religious perspective, has those experiences. They are wonderful experiences. They, they give us a lot of nourishment and enable us to go on through tough situations um, because the relationship creates a space where the Holy Spirit is really at work. And that is a very, very humbling and, and uplifting experience. I think the, the relationship word has popped out in all of these good news conversations that we're having. And because I think it really is underpinning of what our spiritual life is about relating with divinity and with, with one another. 
And I was just wondering a little bit more. You mentioned earlier about how spiritual direction has been a part of your life. I'm just wondering if you could expand a little bit more on the role of spiritual direction in informing right. your decisions, forming your ministry, informing that, keeping that passionate fire alive that you have. You're right, John, that relationship is at the very heart of this. And I think relationship is directly related to the concept of incarnation. The unique feature of Christianity is the belief that God so loves the created world and particularly human beings who have been created that God comes into our experience in the person of Jesus, born and raised as a human being with all of the faults and foibles that human beings are subject to uh, in a world in which God gives up power to become a servant. This is a profound statement of God's love for us and calls us into relationship. I've often surprised confirmation classes before I confirm members by saying, you know, it's not possible to be a Christian by yourself. I mean, it is never just me and Jesus. Important as relationship with Jesus is, it is always in a community. It is always a brotherhood and sisterhood a relational experience that we both experience God and we also grow into being better persons with others. And so spiritual direction comes right out of that. And I am very, very interested in relationships. And when I moved to the Boston area, I took two years of intensive study with the Boston Gestalt Institute, thinking that God might be calling me to be a pastoral counselor which is something I also love. But at the end of the training, I decided that, no, I preferred to remain a generalist because I, I couldn't say that I loved counseling more than I loved preaching or teaching or Bible study or various other things that parish ministry involved me in. The next thing I did in that same period in the 1980s was to enter a doctor of ministry program. And that was in the area of spiritual direction. Now that I'm retired, I can go back to doing this. And it is a very privileged thing to kind of walk the spiritual journey with other people. And I find it very enlivening for myself, but I think it's also possible that through my own experiences, people will find their spiritual journeys um, enhanced. And when I say spiritual journeys, I don't mean that those journeys are somehow isolated in some esoteric way from our regular lives. We walk our spiritual journeys in the context of living day to day, in the context of what we do and how we behave and how we treat people, what causes we support, how we spend our money. The list is almost endless of how the spirit can inform us about how to live. And so spiritual direction is an opportunity when it's done one-on-one -on -one for a person to meet with the director. I don't like the name director because it implies something that isn't true in spiritual direction. The direction comes from the Holy Spirit, if we're being honest. And so my job as the spiritual director is try to listen carefully to the directee and hear where the spirit is either calling to that person or perhaps 
calling to me through my uh, hearing of what the, what the person is saying. So it, it is not particularly directional in that I don't tell people what to do. I instead, it's my job to come up with important questions where they hopefully can have an aha from within themselves. Um, probably most of the answers any of us need to know about life are inside of us, at least if we've lived for a few years. I currently do not have anyone who is non-Christian, but I would, I would offer that because I can be sensitive to person who, the person would pretty much have to have a, a religious connection because I am a religious person who takes God seriously, but I don't for a minute think that God only works with Christians. So I would certainly welcome followers of Islam or Judaism or Buddhism or Hinduism into that kind of direction too. I think we can learn from each other and it's the same spirit that is guiding all of us anyway. So as we wrap up here, Bob, is there anything else you would like to share with us? I think for Christians in our own culture, we are looking at a somewhat scary, but I think very hopeful phenomenon. And that is that we've already entered into a new phase of what Christianity is going to look like and what it's going to be. I think what we are going to see more and more of is people who take the gospel seriously as the gospel of love are going to hopefully jettison some of the ways in which Christians have been offensive. And not the least of that is the ability to welcome people of different points of view. We will have people who, for whatever reason, justifiably or not, um, drive us crazy, but they are part of the household of God. And they need some respect and they need to be listened to. And that for me is very exciting because I think if we can learn to do that, most of what I've learned in life that has really been important, I've learned from people who are different from me, different skin color, different background, different socioeconomics, different educational backgrounds or, or no educational background, I would have nothing in common with. And the Holy Spirit has provided the commonality and, and avenues to grow and to really cooperate in community. So that the church I believe in for the future is a church in which the litmus test will not be what you believe or how you present the faith in a written and or verbal sense, but how you live the faith. How do you in your daily life witness to a God who is loving and who has called all of us to be brothers and sisters and into one family finds that love undercut the other things that divide us so that it's possible for people who are vastly different to have a love and respect for each other despite their difference. I think it's not God's will that we should be uniform. It is God's will we learn to love one another despite differences. You, you are describing at, for what I believe Christianity is and, and just calling us this time in our culture, in our lives to, to make love the, the prime goal with one another in our relationship and in with ourselves in creation. So you know, I think that was perfect. 
Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And I think that's, that's where Christians need to think of love is not so much an emotional reaction to someone as a intellectual decision to honor that person as a loved child of God and to realize that if God could love that person, maybe I could learn to do that as well. Love takes a lot of work. Yeah, it does. To which we can only say amen, amen. And right. yeah. And uh, Bob, this has been great. We've really enjoyed having you with us today. I just wanted to sure. add, you are now retired once again, and maybe for the little final time, retired. I think, I think this is my last official retirement in that I'm quite content to be doing spiritual direction with folks. And I will undoubtedly be asked to come and preach and do things. And I will accept that as long as I'm physically able to do that kind of thing. If anyone who's listening or watching is interested in uh, contacting you about spiritual direction or what have you, um, is there a, uh, an address or a website we can point yeah, out? The easiest way, and, and I'm happy to, and I'm seeing both lay people and clergy. So this is not just a clergy phenomenon. The best to, way to reach me is by writing my personal email, which is r w i h l o f f at gmail.com. We will put the correct email address in the show notes. So if people are interested, okay. you can find those there at any time. Right. And once again, Bob, thanks so much for being with us today. Thank you, John and Lauren. Thank you. It, you know, as you know, I think the world of you both, and I've had a long, long relationship. I mean, really essentially 28 years with both of you. Yeah. And that's been a lot of fun. It has. It has. And it goes on. It does. Thank you. Perfect. It's been delightful, Bob. Thank you for being with us. John and I also want to thank all who are watching and listening. We cannot do this without your participation. So please take a moment to comment, like, and share on all your social media platforms. This will help us spread the good news to even more people. And again, thank you for the gift of your time with us today. Until next time, peace and blessing. Good News is being brought to you by Listening for Clues. You can find us on our website, listeningforclues.com, our YouTube channel, our Vimeo channel, and just about every podcast platform that there is. Hope to see you soon.